Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. And so we have taken those liberties here at the end of November and December to take the theme of finances and focus on it. We, as a church, we think family is extremely important. In fact, one of our key pillars here at Kingsway is to elevate the family above all else, above ministry. Yeah, yeah, we believe that here. Family should be above ministry. Family is, in fact, your first ministry. After the Lord comes your family, and then job, then ministry, then all those things. And what we've learned is, is in counseling families and spending time with families that there's a couple key reoccurring themes that families struggle with. One of those themes is, in fact, finances. And it's something that Kingsway has a lot of experience in. It's something that the pastors practice on a daily basis. And so we feel not just obligated, we feel honored, we feel privileged, we feel excited to share all of the biblical knowledge around finances with you. Why? Because we want you to be as blessed as you possibly can be. And finances is no different. It shouldn't be this topic that we're scared to talk about or that we dance around or we don't talk about. In fact, I believe scripture elevates finances above all else. Well, why would you say that? Other than God himself, referenced in the Bible, finances are talked about more than any other subject, 2,355 times exactly. And so we want to talk about finances. In fact, what we also believe is it's a spiritual subject. I mean, if it's in the Bible, it's spiritual, right? 2,350 times seems like something we should underline and take note of. And so we've elevated, we like to even think about the concept of giving as a spiritual thing. And so this week, I've fixed it. Look at this. <laughs> this is an inside joke for those of you who are like, why are you laughing? That's because it actually says Sacred Summit right now. It says what it's supposed to say, and no one's scared. We started with this last week, and we began to talk about the spiritual nature of giving. We talked about what it happens in heaven when you sit down. And you begin to have a conversation about giving. Giving of anything. You talk about it with your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, with your children. That God is listening in. The angels are listening in. You, in fact, are helping send the angels forward by giving. It's a sacred summit, a meeting that happens in a spiritual realm. And this is even more interesting. And we're not going to get into it today, but this goes beyond just Christianity. Right? This is not something you have to do in Jesus' name. This is not something you need to understand all the scriptures. You may not understand much about the scriptures, about the Bible, about Christianity or Judaism. If you are a giver, you take part in this system. It's God's law. And he is looking for those who understand it. And so why don't we preach about it? Why don't we teach about it? We've only taken three or four weeks here in December, November, December. This is our last week, so everyone can take a deep breath. He's finally going to stop talking about giving. But I believe it's an important element, this concept of giving. And so in the Bible, it talks about it in lots of different places. It talks about giving a tithe. In the Old Testament, it talks about a tithe, which is an actual number. It's not an amount. It's a percent. It's 10% to give that tithe to the church. And it talks about 
why this is important. It goes in great detail. In fact, it then talks about something that may get your interest. It says, besides of all the spiritual benefits, besides all the benefits to other people, there is a, a hidden truth in the tithe. That the word tithe itself, when God brought it forth in the Hebrew, its root was to make rich. To make rich is the word tithe. That doesn't seem intuitive. It seems quite the opposite. This is what was established back in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes and he says, I have made myself poor so that you can be. And yes, there's a very spiritual element about this. And we've talked about that in great detail in the week's previously. And last week, we, we talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we talked about how Jesus is talking about rich with these Christians. Wait a minute, I thought we're supposed to all be poor and have nothing and be impoverished and, and be beggars. Is that what the gospel is? That's not the gospel that I read. We've read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says that we're to be rich. The question then is how rich? What kind of rich? That is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Isn't it great? It just goes 8, then 9. You just keep reading and you, you learn all these amazing biblical truths. How many of you did the homework this week and actually read 2 Corinthians chapter 9? This is my job, by the way. I know no one likes homework, but my job is to direct you. My job is to say, yes, you have a lot of nice devotions. Read your devotions. You know, say your prayers. Worship. But, but also open the Bible on your own. It's okay. It's not going to hurt. Get a Bible you like to read. You know, I don't feel like you have to read the King James Version. That's the one that I read. I don't feel like you have to read the NIV or the New King James. When I preach on Sundays, I usually preach, if I'm telling stories, out of the New Living Translation. I like this. Actually, I want to say something about this Bible, the New Living Translation. And you'll see it today. If you don't have New Living Translation, if you're using the NIV or the King James and you hear the stories and the preaching as I go through you're going to hear me read it, and you're going to be like, wow, that sounds really easy to understand. It's almost like cheating. I mean, when I read the King James Version, I, I'm studying like, oh, that's what it means. I didn't understand what that word, oh, oh, I get it, and I have to really study and look and cross over. I got to really pay attention. Or sometimes there's illustrations or allegory, and, and I'm not quite sure what the imagery is, and I got to go Google it or figure it out. When I read the same verse in here, I'm like, oh. This is like the, the cheating version of the gospel. It's all right there. We have no excuse anymore. We just read it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Open your Bibles to it. Can we do that? If you have a Bible app, do that. If you have a, a Bible with you, use it. If you don't have a Bible app or a Bible, no problem. We'll provide one for you. It's right in front of you. Just take it out of the pew, pick it up, open it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, it's about this concept of money and finances and giving. Giving is a huge part of uh, God's system. And I wanted to tell a quick story to kind of set the tone with how giving typically is in churches. And I think I'm going to call the message this. I think I'm going to name the message the bad turkey. It's not Thanksgiving anymore. Look, look, turkey. At our home, you know, Thanksgiving's a big deal because I can eat all the food and we wanted to fry a turkey and so I made a, a big deal about this and, you know, it, it doesn't always go so well, the best laid plans, amen. No, I did not burn the house down. Just we had some issues at our house with frying a turkey or parts of a turkey. I'm not sure what I fried. I fried something. It came out and it was, it was black. Oh yeah. I mean, we all took one look at it and said, that's not appetizing. But it smelled so good, we started biting some slices off. It was phenomenal. It was so, we ate the whole thing. 
So I have to manage the temperature a little bit better and figure it out. But this story is about bad turkey. So this is, this is a true story. Uh, I read this from one of those call centers that give their scripts out. So this was Butterball. The Butterball Turkey Company set up a telephone hotline. This was a little while ago, a couple years ago, to answer consumer questions about preparing turkeys at Thanksgiving. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. What? It can't be a good idea. So the Butterball representative told her, well, the turkey would probably be safe to eat if, in fact, the freezer had been kept below zero, if sub-zero, for the entire 23 years. They begin to talk, and the Butterball representative then warned her that even if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavor would probably have deteriorated so much to such a degree that, that she would not recommend eating it. She then replies, quote, ah, that's what I thought. We'll just give the turkey to our church. Please don't give me any bad turkeys. This is funny, right? Because a lot of times when it comes to giving, uh, giving to the church or giving you know, in the concept of building or people, we sort of think whatever we have left over, whatever, whatever I have, something in my pocket, okay. Oh, I got 10 minutes right now. I'll go do something for you. We try to prioritize our life and our day and whatever is left over in our budget money, well, that's available for the church. That's no different than giving me a bad turkey, by the way. And you're not giving it to me. As we learned earlier, the Bible says, Jesus is in heaven receiving your offering. He doesn't collect it, he receives it. What are you offering him today? That's part of the question. Is it a bad turkey? Are you offering him something more? And is it about, and I'll skip to the end here, is it about an amount, are you trying to tell me I need to give a certain dollar amount every year or I need, I need to aspire to a certain level of giving? Is your church, you know, you, you get levels as you give more? We are not that kind of church. We are not tracking what level of giving you're giving. We do track how much you give for tax reasons, and we give that back to you, and that's required by law. And frankly, we only have one or two people in the whole church that even has access to that, and they do that for purely compliance reasons. We don't do that to track any type of spirituality. But the Bible makes it really clear. This is not about how much you give. In fact, it starts with how eager are you to give? How eager are you to help? Ask that question to yourself today. How eager are you about anything, in fact? When was the last time you were eager about something? When was the last time you were excited to go do something? We are eager about something when we perceive value or benefit, right? So if you're about to do something that you really are going to get some value for, I got football tickets, I get to see a football game, or movie tickets, or I'm going on a date with my wife and that's valuable, I'm going to be excited about them, be eager to go on that trip, Right? Think now about your children. Think about these little kids in school. Remember how eager they were about everything? Just go look right now in our Sunday schools that are happening all around church right now. They raise their hand. They're so eager. They have the right question. They raise their hand. Oh, I got the right question. And by the way, I tell them all with the right answer in Sunday school is always Jesus. If you just say Jesus and you get, you get stars. So, yeah, they get eager about everything when you're little kids. They're eager about opening gifts. They're eager about telling you no. They're eager about playing. They're eager about everything. And they're, they're, they're often eager to help. Can you remember when you, if any of you had kids or you spent time around kids, you could be in the kitchen baking cookies, you could be making a cake, and there's your little toddler running up. Ooh, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? What can I do? Little Susie, hey, let, let, let me make a mess with you, Mom. 
or if your dad in the garage and you're trying to fix something that's broke and you're having your way with it, it's just not quite coming together. You can't see things right. You don't got the right tools. You tried it. You broke it more. What am I going to do? Here comes little Johnny. Daddy, daddy, how can I help? How can I help? Please encourage your children. Encourage those around you to be eager to help. As adults, we stomp all over it, right? As adults, we beat it out of them. We go, no, 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 I, don't, I, I can't use any help right now. Go away, right? Oh, you're going to make a bigger mess. Just go, go play. Don't do that with your kids. I do it. I'm I, checking myself here. Encourage them to be eager. The Bible wants you to be eager. Okay, let's set this up here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're actually going to go through each verse. I'm going to go through fairly quickly here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you have this tee up like this. The church back then was solidified by the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where all of the ministry, all the administration, all of the welfare, all of the help, all of the medical attention in the community was given through the church. And the church was in ruins. And so they needed to bring the church up. And it wasn't just a building like we have a church, like a sanctuary. It was a full community, a village, if you will. And that's where, you know, the, the, again, all this administration would take place. It was vitally important to give to the community through this church. And so... They asked all of the churches in that time to donate to the building of this community. And everyone was going to take advantage of it and be part of it. Well, the biggest church at that time was the Macedonian church. And they gave the most of any church. The Bible says they gave so much it was without measure that they couldn't even count how much they freely gave it. And it's exciting to think about the churches giving that much to, to other people and other causes. Well, this church, the Corinthian church, the one we're talking about, they weren't as big as that church. They were a smaller church, although they thrived in many things. We talk about that. They thrived in knowledge and wisdom and philosophy. They thrived in loving other people and serving other people, and they also thrived in giving. And what we're going to learn here is that this church in Corinth, this church was so eager to give. They were so enthusiastic about their giving that they would inspire other people. So, in fact, the Macedonian church was inspired by the Corinthian church. They didn't give as much, but the way they give incited to them such zeal that the Macedonian church was able to fund everything. So what happened is, is the Macedonian church with Paul began to travel to all the churches to show them how much money we had and what we were going to build, and they began to collect all the money. And they were heading to the Corinthian church, and that's where chapter 9 starts. So let me read here. Chapter 9, verse 1. I really don't need to write to you about the ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. Your Bible says something like that, enthusiastic, eager, eagerness to help. I know how eager, you should highlight that, how eager to help. And I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin to give. It continues, so I'm sending these brothers to be sure you are really ready, as I've been telling them that your money is all collected. And so I want you to think about this eagerness, this enthusiasm. It's spread to other people. This enthusiasm spread to these other churches that they were able to see. In fact, it was contagious. I want you to think about that for a second. Isn't that what Christianity is supposed to be about? Aren't we supposed to be so excited about what God is doing in our lives? Isn't God supposed to be having his way with us, his will with us, his miracles with us, his, you know, his blessings with us so much that we're talking about it everywhere we go and, and people see it and they want to be a part of it? It's no different. That's what's happening here. 
That's exactly what's happening here, that other people were seeing it. And in fact, what happens, and you know, Chris brings up marathons all the time, and so I'll use the analogy here. I would never do a marathon unless I was forced to, but I can imagine the, the appeal. It's probably very exciting to start a marathon, and it's probably very exciting to end a marathon. Everything in the middle is what they call a slog, a grind. It's hard work. The same is true with giving. It's probably very exciting to think about, oh, I'm going to give. I'm going to do something for the kingdom of heaven. It's very exciting when you come up with that idea, the pastor says it. And it's also very exciting when you actually do it, whether it's money, effort, time. You do it and you see God's blessing. Those two things are very exciting. Everything in the middle is a, it's a slog. It's, it's everyday life. It's going to work. It's meeting your bills. It's doing everything you have to do. And so what we're trying to do is encourage you. I'm saying the same thing to you that Paul was saying to the Macedonian church, to the Corinthian church here. I don't have to talk to you about giving. You get it. I know you get it. You give so much to the kingdom of heaven and missions and the community for this roof, so much. And I am thankful and honored to be a part of that. Now, you don't give it to me again. You give it to the Lord. So Kingsway gets it. You're a giving church. But all of us as individuals are in the slog, especially around Christmas time. Oh, we're just giving Christmas gifts, and how does that work out with the church? And, you know, maybe I'll just give whatever I have left over in terms of my time or my money. How does that fit into what God is saying? Well, I think what we're going to see here is very interesting. So in verse 3, you hear he says, I am sending these brothers to be sure you are really ready, as I have been telling them that your money is all collected. Listen to this. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. In verse 4, we would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some of the Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I told them. So I thought I should send these brothers to make sure you were ready to give the gift you promised. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one grudgingly. All right, so let me sum this up for you. And as pastors, we have this fear all the time. They made a promise. They were excited. They were showing how they were giving. Now they made this commitment, and the Macedonians were coming, and then they would get there, and if they got there to the church and it had nothing to give to this fund, how much of an embarrassment would that have been? Now, you may think, I can understand that story. I, I, I can see it. That would be pretty poor taste. They should come up with the money. No, no, no. Think about your own life now. Think about what we've committed to as Christians Think about what God is doing in our life. What we tell other people, that like God is good all the time, and all the time is God is good. But we walk around like this. Man, life's terrible. Stinks. I hate it. I hate my job. I hate my family. I hate my car. I hate my house. I hate my neighborhood. But God is good. I mean, how do you square that? I mean, that's an embarrassment to anybody who's summing you up and saying, is that a Christian? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. You embarrass him, the church, you embarrass God. The moment we don't honor our commitment to being eager, to being the one that God has made us to be. And he's making no qualms about it. It includes our giving. It's a commitment that we make. Think of the commitment Jesus Christ made to come to this planet. Commitment. Commitment means staying loyal to what you said you're going to do long after the mood has left you. This is Christianity, right? You were probably on fire when you came to the, the altar and said, Jesus, I give my heart to you. I want to live for you. That first day, your mood was on high. Probably the next week, your mood wasn't so high. Did you renounce Jesus Christ that day? No, of course not. We're committed to Jesus. 
And so I challenge you today, what is it that our mood ends up swaying us to? And does our mood remove our commitments in any way? We're supposed to live for him. We're supposed to serve him. And we're not supposed to live for him or serve him under pressure. I hope you don't serve God today because you think I may be mad at you if you don't. I want to see you in heaven with me. I hope you serve God because he gave his life for you. That's why I hope. That's not pressure. That's willingness. And God is saying, I hope you give out of willingness. Now, that's not the end of chapter 9. That could be the end for me. God said it. I'll do it. End of story. You want me to give eagerly? Okay. You want me to give willingly? You died for me. That's all I need to know. I'll give you whatever. What do you want? But most of us are human, and most of us need a little more meat on that bone. And so as I told you in, in the previous chapters, chapters 8, this isn't for everyone. Not everyone's going to understand this. Not everyone's going to understand why we're talking about giving to such a degree. But that's why there's so many verses left in chapter 9. So in chapter 9, it talks about these people coming. It says, but I want you to give a willing gift and not begrudgingly. Not giving one out of some obligation that you feel you have to the church or you have to God. He wants you to give it willingly. So how much are you to give? And why are you to give? And how are you to be so eager about giving? It's really interesting about commitment. God has set up a law. He set up a process. He set up a program, if you will, a formula, a structure in Scripture about finances. And if you follow it, it's so cut and dry I like to refer to it as, well, it's just simple math. And so in Scripture here, it points it out about commitment and simple math. And before I tell it, I think I want to tell a story, yeah. So I have a story here about commitment. And as we get into this one, it says here, this one's also a true story. He was 67 years old. He was a carpenter. His name was Russell Herman. He died 1994. And in his will, he included a staggering set of bequests. Included in his plan for distribution, was more than $2 billion for the city of St. Louis, another billion and a half for the state of Illinois. And then it said in his will, he's leaving $2.5 billion for the national forest system. He's going green. And to top off the list, Herman left, quote, $6 trillion to the government to help pay off the national debt. You may have not have heard of Russell Herman, Many people have not. That's because the only asset Russell Herman had when he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. He had no money. He made grand pronouncements, but there was no real generosity involved. His promises were meaningless because there was nothing to back them up. And so part of what we're about to learn here is when you make a commitment to God, he is asking you to really think about it and say, what can you really honor? What can you really realize? What can you really follow through with? Outside of that, it's not a commitment. And so he makes it really easy for us. In verse 6 here, that's where we're at now. In verse 6, it says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I could just end there. Again, each verse you can almost just end. You want to know how rich the Bible talks about? It has everything to do with you. You you plant few seeds, you're going to get few crops. You plant generous seeds, you're going to get a generous crop. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. That's what it says. This law is over in Scripture many, many times over. You know, a, a great theologian, he said it like this, and I love it. He summed up all of the financial Scriptures. He summed up like he said, 
Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. There are three elements here. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Most of what we're talking about recently has been on the giving side. But this scripture right here, it applies to earn all you can. It's something fundamental in Christianity. We as Christians must be going out of our way to earn all we can. What do you mean? That says it in scripture. Those who plant seeds generously will receive fruit generously. It is your obligation to put your hand to the soil. It's your obligation to take the talents and skills that God has put into your life and to use them to earn. He talks about it over in Scripture many cases. You know what? He's given you skills and he's given you talents. How many of you are using the skills and the talents that you have to do the things that God has called you to do? How many? So so I just want to encourage you that the earn all you can, that is very biblical. It is scriptural. God is not dropping man out of heaven because we are holy and we walk on water. It does not work that way. We live in a sinful planet, and that requires hand in the toil, male or female, young or old. There's a process for working and earning. And when you earn, you're supposed to save as much as you can. We'll get to that in another sermon series at another time because we all need margin. But this sermon is about giving as much as you can. And so Paul says right here, if you give a few seeds, you will get back a small crop. If you plant, invest lots of seeds, you will have a generous crop. But you must decide. How do you know he's talking about giving, Pastor Sean? Verse 7, you must decide in your heart how much you give. You must decide in your heart how much you give. Not the pastor telling you how much you give because of pressure. This is your job. So let's take it out of money for a second. Let's talk about your relationships. You give relationships time and energy and effort. What you put into your marriage is what you will get out of your marriage. Anybody who's been to our young adult marriage classes, you know this. If you give generously to your marriage, you will get out of your marriage generous fruit. Take any other friendship relationship. What you put into it is what you will get out of it. Take school. The more effort you put into school, the more you will get out of it. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll get A's. But school isn't just about getting A's. There's a lot to learn in school. And so for those of you who are in school or taking classes or studying, I tell you, the more you put into school, the more you'll get out. This is scriptural. This isn't just general wisdom. And so this is about giving. And we're talking about now giving money. And so when we say simple Matthew, the more that you give, the more fruit that will come. So are you trying to tell me, Sean, it's, a, it's about some amount? Verse 7 makes it very, very clear. It's not about the amount that you give. When we're talking about money, it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. Verse 7, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. This message is not one to be about pressure. It may feel like that right now. You may feel convicted. That's not the point. The point is God's financial system is so clear, and I want you to understand it. And when you do, you will benefit from it. And so I have to read all the scriptures in the entirety for you to comprehend it. So, for instance, some of you may say, well, I don't give because I don't have it. And we've argued last week. It's not you don't have because you give. You don't have because you don't give enough. That's the way scripture lines up. So let me say it differently. Maybe you prefer math and not scripture. Maybe you're an economist. And you say, well, if I had more money, I would give because my budget would be grander and I would spend more. Okay, let's follow that out. Forbes, you guys know who Forbes is. They do all the rankings of all the biggest companies and the wealthiest people in the world. Forbes, in this decade, says there's about 950 billionaires. That's with a B. 950 billionaires. Do you know on average, that's a lot of money. I 
by anybody's standards, a lot of money. So they have a lot of money. How much on average do you think they give to charitable agencies? You could take a guess, and I'll tell you, you'd be wrong. It's about 1%. So it's not the more you have, 1%. So you say, that's a lot of money. That's, uh, what's that, $10 million on a billion. $10 million. So they give $10 million in their lifetime. That's a lot of money. Yeah, well, 10% $100 million. It's not if you make more, you'll give more. In fact, as you make more, it gets harder to give because the numbers all get bigger. God is telling you it's not about the amount. It's about your eagerness and willingness to give because God has first given to you. Remember the lady with the two coins? They went into church, right? In Matthew, Jesus, the lady goes into church and she throws the two little pennies into the offering plate and the people around start chuckling and laughing. What's that going to do? How's that going to help? Jesus says, it's not about the amount. It's not about where those two pennies will go. You guys gave money from your savings account and you gave us all a small portion. She gave all that she had and freely gave it. And for that reason, she will be blessed. Hey, this is scripture. I'm just reading it word for word. So it's not about the amount. It's not even really about the percent. You know, we use the 10% because that's the way the Bible talks about it in the Old Testament. It's a good barometer to talk about the tithe. Tithe means 10%. And when you give your tithe to the church, it should be 10%. But the Bible talks about giving way over and above the 10%. And as Chris preached and he talked about stewardship, everything we have that God has given us is his, and we just manage it. The question really should be not how much do we give, how much should we keep? A different sermon, but I want you to keep thinking in your head as you see how the scripture is going here. Remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly in response. Here's where it gets amazing. That you may have guessed, but here is these scriptures. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and gives generously provide all that you need. Now, I said that really quickly, so I'm going to put it on the screen nice and slowly. There we go. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. Let's all look at this here. And God will generously provide all you need. This is the law. This is the system. Before we talk about getting rich, let's talk about having all of your needs met. When you're home complaining about you can't pay your cell phone bill or, or you, know, you, you can't buy the Christmas gifts you want, you're probably sitting home on your couch inside your home with heat, fully clothed, and probably a full belly, and you're going to eat later. Our needs are met, guys, by far. God has generously met your need today. Food, shelter, clothing. But there's just as many stories. In fact, you can talk to many of the people in Kingsway today about people who are faithful tithers, and many of them don't share their stories because hey, maybe they're embarrassed, maybe they want, and so for that reason, they don't get out. But there are stories in Kingsway, if you ask about tithing and stories about tithing and miracles about tithing, they may change the names to protect the innocent, but, but they'll share stories like this. Uh, some faithful tither decided to give and go without. And when they went without, they came home one day and there was bags of groceries sitting at their door. Or they decided to give and go without. And somebody handed them an envelope with money in it. They decided to give and go without. And all of a sudden, somebody paid a bill for them. Or the church started supplying the needs for them. You see, there's a hint here. There's a hint here of why this works this way. Verse 8. And God will generously provide all that you need. Now, it doesn't end there. It says, do I have it here? 
Oh, I didn't have it here. It says, then you will always have, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over. What? God will provide all that you need, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over. What do I do with the leftovers? What do I do? Verse 9, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds shall be remembered forever. And this is one of the versions where New Living Translation makes it very easy. It literally says plenty left over to share with others. Depending on what Bible version you're reading, it may say abound in every work. Well, what's that every good work? And then it has colon, and it says to give to the poor. The Bible is talking about God wants to meet your need because A, he wants those around you to see that God's meeting his need, and B, he wants to give you over and above your need so that you can give to others. You see this, right? God is the provider. God's providing your needs, and he's providing the needs of those around you. He's blessing the poor through you. He doesn't just drop man out of heaven for them either. And the poor again is anybody who has less than you do. God is blessing you in many ways through job and through others and community and investments, and he's expecting you to bless people that have less than you do because he provides. Remember we talked about the wagons are coming? The wagons are coming for those that give. We saw this in Genesis before. The wagons are coming. This is part of Christianity. God wants you to know the wagons are coming. He's providing you this only if you understand the system, the system of giving. Because it says right here in verse 9, they shall freely give to the poor. The good deeds are remembered forever. All the seed you're talking about, all this giving, you know, so it sounds like I got to make as much money as I can and then I got to give it away to the poor. Is that what you're saying? Let's keep looking here. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. I think this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. You will be enriched in every way so that you, so that you, now if you have your Bible, you know what it says here. But it says, let me start. You'll be enriched in every way. Our Bible actually says that God intends to enrich you in every single way. Financially, emotionally, in relationships, spiritually, with privilege, with favor among men, at your job, in your community, at the grocery store. He intends to enrich you in every way. So that, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be greedy? Are you going to store it up? What are you, you going to do with it? I didn't write this. This is from the Bible. What does the end of verse 11 say? I think this one actually I have. You can always be generous. It's in your little kids who want to help, are eager to help. God put it in our DNA. Daddy, I want to help. Mommy, I want to help. It's in you too. This little feeling inside that when you grow up, you want to be able to help people and give to others and provide for them. It's in you. God put it in you. He is desperately trying to bless you so that you can always be and if you're not a blessing, guess what he's going to stop doing? It's very hard for me when you come to me and you say, I need help, I, I need help, I need help, can a church help me? And we do that. We do a lot of that. In the community, in this church, we go out of our way to try to help people. But it's very hard for me as a pastor for the first thing to say, well, I want to help you, but how much do you give? I mean, imagine if I said that. But that's what it says. And it's not about dollar amounts. I don't care if you give a dollar or a penny. And it's not about what you have to give either. It's about making room to give. You know, in the previous chapter, it makes it very clear. You're not supposed to give so much of your money that you make life easy for someone else and hard for yourself. The Bible wants life to be easy for you financially, so much so that you can bless others financially. And if it's not, try God's system out. 
I'm going to go back one more verse and just read it again, just because I want you to hear it. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer. So the one that you're planting, God's providing it. And then he provides you bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase in your resources so that you can produce a greater harvest of generosity. God is giving you health. He's giving you ideas. He's giving you uh, strategies. He's giving monies. He's giving resources to you, and he's increasing them the more that you give so that you can be generous. This is the key. I've lived by this. Don't go around telling about how much we give and how generous we are. That's not apropos. And, and again, the scripture really talks about not doing that. And so, you know, I have to skate on thin ice here. But I tell you, the more that you give, the more God will bless you. And it will be obvious. And then when people ask you, how did you do that? How did that happen? Where did this come from? Now you can share those testimonies in private. And I'm telling you, the system works. And it doesn't end there. He doesn't just want to meet our needs. Verse 11 says, in every way. Okay, what is this all about? If the scripture means this, if this is true, that God wants to bless me so I can bless others, then I think we got it wrong with how we pray about finances. I mean, how many of us, we have a budget or spreadsheet, whatever, and we pray that all of our needs are met, and then we can tithe or we can do whatever we have to do at church, and, and so, God, okay, you bless us, and if you give me more, I'll give a little bit more of a percentage. Okay, yeah, okay, that's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. But if this scripture is true, how about thinking about it this way? Say you live on a budget that's uh, $5,000 a month. So if $5,000 a month can supply all of your needs and your giving, why are you asking God to just give you $5,000 a month? This scripture says, ask God for $10,000 a month. He'll meet all of your needs, and you'll have $5,000 a month to give to other people. Now you say, well, if I made $10,000 a month, I'm not giving 5000 to other people, and that's why you don't make $10,000 a month. And what if you made much more than that? We need to be praying to God. God, put it in my hands so that I can bless other people. I want to be your angel here on earth to do your will. It's not I won't have because I give. I don't have because I don't give enough. God is expecting you to be someone else's answer to prayer. There are people in this world who need something and are praying desperately. There are people, Chris and I talk about it all the time in pastor's meeting. We have youth, we have people in our church, we have kids in the community that don't come to our church, people we run into that we know are down and out. Parents are split, jobs are fractured, income is low. And I know, I can see it in my mind, the visions, I can see the mom at the dinner table praying in her bed crying. I can see the dad wondering, how am I going to make ends meet? Saying, if there's a God, why won't you meet my need? And here we are as a church, and we're going to call some of these families up on the phone and say, I know you don't know us, we're the church down the street, we want to help you at Christmas time. Can you imagine that phone call? That's being someone else's. And that's what we do as a church. Like, you can do it on your own. The money that you give does not need to come to Kingsway. 10% does. That's what the Bible talks about. But outside that 10%, you can give your money anywhere you want. Make sure you know where it's going. Bless people. Find interesting ways to bless people. It's a sacred summit when you begin to think about that. You know, when you serve, when you do service, you do soup kitchen, you do here, you do any type of ministry when you serve, you know it's a function of giving. You know you're giving by serving. Have you thought about when you are giving, you're actually serving? It's a service that you're taking part of. It's a ministry that you're doing. 
That's why the, the Christmas giving we talk about, your tithing, that's why. This is so important. This is not something you can forget or something you can take lightly. Are you following me, church? Do you agree with me, church? Yes. You know, I want to throw one thing on you. I know I'm running out of time, and now this is where I get even more thinner ice. As I'm getting older here, I'm getting very frustrated. And I know some of you are going to huff and puff when I say this, but I think it's true, and I, I don't have time to work through every scripture with you. But being a Republican is not synonymous with being a Christian, and being a Christian is not synonymous with being a Republican. They're not equal. And there are certain areas of the Republican mandate that they need to rethink. And I'm not here to talk about all of them, but I know one of them that gets people really frustrated a lot is this whole welfare entitlements, they call it, and Medicare, and, and there's some special issues that are surround this. But I want you to understand this. The Bible is certainly very, very, very clear. We talk about the Jews who benefit from God's blessing, who don't give to God today. Do you know we live in a country that's blessed by God? We live in a country that God continues to honor our freedom, that God continues to bless us and anoint us with our presence. And one of those reasons is because our country gives to the poor. It's simple. You may like it or not like it, but it's a fact. The more we give to the poor as a country, as an institution, the more God blesses us. It's right here in chapter 9. And if you don't agree with it, if you don't care, that's fine. You're allowed to not agree with it. But you'll take advantage of the blessing, I guarantee you. We take advantage of so many blessings that God has given us. And so we need to be aware of those blessings because I'll just finish. I just got to finish. I know I'm almost out of time. Let me read it here. I am going to see, so let's see. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way. I told them that already. Generous, I told them that. When we take your gifts to those who need them. Now let's go, let's go here to verse 12. This whole part of verse 12 is so interesting. So 12 to the end. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So the needs will be met, and people will express their thanks. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. 13. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to God. They will pray for you with deep... Look at this. Read verse 14. You expect me to do this. But look what it's... And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace of God has given to you. You want people praying for you with deep affection? You want people honoring you that they're honoring God? It's right here because of your what? Now, if you're in New Living Translation, it uses the word, it makes it really easy here. It uses the word ministry. If you're in New International, it says service. If you're in King James Version, it says another word that's similar to it. But this is your ministry. This is your ministry. Let me say it again. This is your ministry. Outside of your husband, your wife, and that household, your next ministry is your giving. What comes out of your ministry? It says people will express thanks to God because of your ministry of giving. It says people will pray for you with deep affections because of your ministry. And then it says something else. And I know I'm almost out of time, but I just I have to say this. This is one of those secrets that's kind of stuck in there. I mean, it says ministry, ministry, ministry. Verse 1 of chapter 9 talks about your ministry. It's a ministry. And then it uses this word. Now, this is where New Living Translation just kind of skips over it. It says, will prove, will prove. If you're in the New International Version, it says experiment. King James Version uses the same word to experiment, to prove. We are closing out our financial series here at Kingsway Christian Center in about three minutes. 
And we have not even touched on Malachi chapter 3. Everybody, that's how they do preaching. We're giving Malachi chapter 3 says, Prove God, test God in this, and he will open the doors of heaven, floodgates, whatever version you're in, some imagery. He's going to open it all up. He's going to pour it on you, press down, shaking together, and running over. Prove. In Scripture, it actually goes out of the way. Say, do not test God, except in this one area. What area? The area he talks the most about, your finances. He says in Old Testament and the New. He says, your giving ministry is a test. Is it a test to see how much you give? No, we've already talked about that. It's not about how much you give. It's your willingness and understanding that you should give. He wants it to be a test so that others around you would see it. I want to say this, and I want to make this really clear so I have your attention here, and I know that everyone wants to end, so I know I got you focused. We did this maybe last year, I think it was, or maybe the year prior. We had a really important giving campaign. There were a lot of disasters. I don't remember the names of all the hurricanes and floods. People were out of homes. It was horrific. Between that and the loss of life that was taking place, the church felt compelled to do something. So as a conference, we had something called a global offering. Everybody was donating to it to donate to the homeless and to give food and water and shelter to these families. We normally don't give a lot of money in terms of total amount to the global offering. That year, we wanted to give an awful lot of money. So I challenged everybody to give $100. And for that reason, we raised $5,000 on that Sunday to give to the global offering. And I said these words. I said, I want you, I want you to test God. I preach a sermon like this. I said, test God. And then if you need the $100 back, we'll give it to you. If God doesn't honor his commitment to you that I'm talking about by blessing you and giving you more seed and helping you make ends meet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we'll give you the $100 back and prove God's right. I want to step it up a level. And don't worry, I'm not asking for any money. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So right here at 12 o'clock on this Sunday, December, what is it, 2nd? 9th. Tells you where my life is. December 9th. I want to challenge you. I do. Hopefully we've preached enough about finances that you get the point. I want to challenge you. If you tithe and you give to missions and you pick off the Christmas tree, I'm challenging you right now to just give to others in your community without me or anybody else knowing. See what God does for you. Come back and then tell us the stories when God blesses you beyond measure, when he opens up the floodgates. I want to hear about it. If you're tithing and giving to missions and that's all you can do, I encourage you to look at the tree and find some gift that you can afford and bless somebody this Christmas with a gift. If you're not doing that today, if you're tithing and you're not quite giving the missions because you don't think you can afford it, I encourage you to find a way. And we have all sorts, I mean, you can give $5 to missions on a regular basis. The amount doesn't matter. In fact, it may cost us more to process your $5 than it does the value that, but the reason we do that is because we know it's not about the amount. We know that it's about the act, the eagerness, that you giving that $5 may have a tremendous blessing in your life, so we process it. But today, if you're not tithing, and the tithe is the amount you give that goes to the local church, in this case, Kingsway, so that God can use that money without you telling them where to put it. When you say missions, it goes here. When you buy a Christmas present, it goes to that family. You know, there are a lot of things God wants to do that you don't know about. There are some things that God wants to do that you can't know about. Because if you did, you would judge other people and you wouldn't think the same about this person or that person. So we don't tell you. 
In order for God to do those things, money needs to come to King's Way. And the Bible talks about tithing, and we've talked about it at length. If you don't tithe today, I am challenging you in 2019 to change your lifestyle. In fact, we talk about budgeting. Chris, I'm going on a limb here. We talk about how we budget and budgeting your tithing. Even if you don't have a budget, tithe, figure the rest out. If you tithe to Kingsway, if you do it to some other church, I, I don't know. You'll have to work it out with them. But if you tithe to Kingsway, and if any month during while you're tithing, and you should tithe on a regular basis. You're, if you get paid every week, tithe weekly. If you get paid biweekly, every two weeks or every month, whatever you get paid. makes it very easy that way. Smaller numbers to deal with. If you tithe and the Lord doesn't meet your need, if you tithe and you can't make ends meet, if you really are struggling, if you tithe and life is worse off than it was before you started tithing, we will, no questions asked, give you your tithe back. You come to the ministration. You don't have to come to me. I don't even have to know anything about it. I don't have to know what you give and what you ask for. Nothing. You can go to one of the administrative ladies, Bridget and Debbie, and they handle all the finances very discreetly and very privately, and they will look up how much you gave, and they will give you back what you asked for. So now, tell me, why aren't you tithing? I'm telling you. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there are three families in this church sitting right here who did not tithe this year or last year, came to me and talked about tithing this year. And they've tithed this year, and their lives have been transformed. Now, these families are doing it in secret, and, and I expect them to do it in secret. I don't want everybody boasting about tithing and what they're doing. It's not about the amount. It's about the eagerness. But I'm telling you, this, the system is so foolproof that if you are not taking advantage of it, I told you about last week, the kid who did his full tithe instead of his partial tithe, look what happened to him. Remember the floodgates opening? Okay, so it says, verse 15, and thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Well, immediately, if we put that in isolation, if we take that verse out of context, obviously we know what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We would say that's the gift that God has given us. That's too wonderful for words. And in fact, he is talking about Jesus Christ. Every time Paul talks, he's talking about Jesus Christ. But in this case, we know what he's talking about. That God has given us a financial system that if we are just to follow it, as basic as ABC123, that he will continue to bless you and bless others through you. You will love more, you will forgive more, you will bless more because you are a Christian. And you should be giving more because you are a Christian. We should, I'm going to pause so you hear this. We should make stingy Christians extinct. When you are at a restaurant and it comes time to tip, tip them and then put the Bible verse on there or the cross. Don't, don't tip them and give them a Bible verse. They want the tip first and the Bible verse second. Right? When I go out with people, I love to pay for people. I love to, you know, it's just one of the things Bridget and I do. We love to do that. And a lot of times people say, no, I want to pay for myself or whatever. There's a blessing for us blessing others. We want you to experience the gift to wonderful for words. And hopefully you, when you take somebody out, you'll pay for them and so forth and so on. And you'll find people that you can bless in your community, in your church, and in your life. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. 
Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.